Thank you for that song. Let's stand together and open our Bibles to Luke chapter 23. We'll start reading at verse 32 and go through verse 43. Speaking of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, There were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They parted his raiment and cast lots, and the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. One of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? We indeed justly, for we received the due reward of our deeds... But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest in thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. I want to take you for a few minutes through this moment in the crucifixion. Crucifixion is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Look what it says, verse 35. And the people stood beholding. These people were actually watching the gospel unfold. The Savior had come for this moment. They had taken him, falsely accused him, tried him, sentenced him to death. He was beaten. Now they took a whip, a cat of nine tails, one of the most horrific creations of man used for torture. It had nine different leather straps on it. And on the end of each one of those leather straps was fastened a nail or a rock or a piece of glass, a sharp object. And a soldier would take that criminal and tie him with his hands above his head then he'd viciously beat him 39 times. That soldier placed that whip across the back of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as those straps would wind across his flesh, they would catch. And then he'd rip it back, literally tearing the skin and the flesh from off his bones. And the Bible says he was so badly marred, you couldn't tell if he was a man or an animal by the time they got done. And they took him and put a crown of thorns upon his head. They threw him on a cross and took those hands, the same hands that had touched the sick and healed the lame. Those hands that had never done anything wrong now were being nailed to a cross. They put him up there in between two criminals. And the crowd is watching. People are mocking. Matter of fact, when Pilate had said, I find no fault in this man, the crowd was still screaming, crucify him, crucify him. He had no option 
but to crucify this perfect man. Never had a man lived so perfectly. This was God in the flesh. The Bible does say this, Matthew 121, at his birth thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. This Man was God in the flesh, the Savior come, the Messiah now upon the earth. And look what Pilate said when he examined him, when he examined the evidence, when the witnesses came and testified against him, false witnesses, trying to create charges against him. Verse 4, Pilate, after reviewing the case and hearing the testimony, said this, and Pilate said, to the chief priest and to the people, I find no fault in this man. Although they continue to stir up strife and raise false accusations. Look what it says in verse 14. Once again, Pilate says unto them, You have brought this man unto me, he is one that perverted the people. And behold, I, having examined him before you, I have found no fault in this man. This was the sinless son of God come to shed his blood for the sins of mankind. He came with this purpose in mind. All of his life was about this moment on Calvary, on the cross, when he would shed his blood for the sins of mankind. Now, as we look at this passage, I want you to look at the two men that are crucified with him and their response to what they see. You have to understand, they're literally... Dozens, maybe hundreds of people that are watching this crucifixion. The two that are paying the most attention are the criminals that are beside him. They're not only watching the crowd, but they're seeing Christ and his response. The Bible tells us in Matthew that they both participated in the reviling and the mocking that was going on. But at some point, one of these men changes his mind. He sees that this truly is the very Son of God. Now, here's what I want you to understand. These two men hanging there on the cross beside Jesus Christ, this cross was their deathbed. They were about ready to pass from this life to the next life. And they were just one prayer away from heaven. Here's what I can't understand, having read this book and understood the gospel. I can't understand the fact that salvation has been made so simple, so plain, so easy, so accessible to every man on the planet that every man that is sitting here this morning, you are just one prayer away from changing your destiny. Now, religious tried to convince man, you've got to go through these series of rituals. And if you take the Holy Communion, and if you attend church, and if you've been baptized, and if you got married in the church, and if you went through catechism classes, and they put all these rules and regulations and say, if you fulfill these requirements, there's a possibility that you can get to heaven. But the honest truth is, if you look at the Word of God, the simple fact is you are one prayer away from changing your destiny and sealing your fate, getting out of the destiny of hell and reserving a place for yourself in heaven. Now look what Jesus Christ did in love and mercy. The Bible says, verse 34, there hangs Jesus on the cross. He's been charged, falsely charged, sentenced to death. He's giving his life. He's shedding his blood. If there's anyone that should be upset or angry, it's him, but he's not. His purpose was to shed his blood and give his life. Look what he says in verse 34. Looking at the crowd, he says, Father, forgive them. 
Now you've got to understand, these were the teachers, these were the religious leaders that hated him. These were the priests that had bought him for 30 pieces of silver. Out there was a traitor that had sold him, disciples that had abandoned him, a crowd that had yelled, crucify him. And in the distance was Pilate in the palace who had just condemned him to death. And Christ was looking at each individual out there and said, Father, forgive them. Here's what Christ was doing. Offering forgiveness to the man who had just betrayed him. Offering forgiveness to the man who had just sentenced him to death. Offering total forgiveness to the disciples that had followed him and in this moment of crisis abandoned him. This was the same man that was offering forgiveness to the crowd that was standing there mocking and reviling and yelling, crucify him. And Christ was saying, God, forgive every one of them. Now, can you imagine this? Here's what the cross is about this morning. The cross is about you receiving forgiveness and forgiveness, total forgiveness, is one prayer away. 1 John 1, 9 still says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't you wish that this were the case with those that are around you? Don't you wish that forgiveness was this easy? Don't you wish you could just go to anyone at any time and say these words, please forgive me, and they would say, done. But they don't forgive that easily. Many times people will remember and hold your misdeeds against you for the rest of your life. And even those that say you are forgiven 20 years later will bring up what you did. But Jesus Christ, knowing every sin you've ever committed in your life, says absolute forgiveness is one prayer away. Now I want you to think about who he was talking to here. You have to understand, on his right side was a murderer. On his left side was a thief. Hold on for a second, Christ. You're offering forgiveness to them? You have to understand, if you go down here to the prison and you walk through and meet those men in those cells, many hardened criminals, God was saying to them, hardened criminals sentenced to death, they had been found guilty. There was a trail of guilt in their past. There was a trail of sin. They'd been found condemned, sentenced to death, and Christ said, Father, them too. Forgive them. All they had to do was pray in faith and simple repentance, and they could both have total forgiveness of sin. Just a few months ago, I went to Mexico. I preached in a prison in Tulancingo. One of our pastors that we trained when we were in Pachuca now has a prison ministry. He doesn't call it a ministry. He calls it a church because they actually allow him to bring in Bibles and a pianist and eight or ten workers. And they literally hold regular services there every Saturday night. So he said, can you come preach in my church in Tulancingo? When I went, I didn't know it was a prison. We pulled up to the prison. I said, boy, you guys started a church right next to the prison. He said, oh, no, we started a church in the prison. But I walked in. Listen, the, the room wasn't that big, but it was packed. There was 85 or 100 men there, and they were excited. They had their Bibles, and they were singing. And, and when I got done preaching, three or four men raised their hand, 
and they had plenty of altar workers, but I asked the preacher, I said, Brother Miguel, would you allow me to speak to one of these men? I'd, I'd like the opportunity to share with them the gospel and see one saved. He said, absolutely. And he led me to a young man, probably 27 or 28, and I took him out, went through the gospel with him, and he got down on his knees and trusted Christ as his Savior. When he got done praying, he looked at me and he started crying. And he said, preacher, I need some help. I said, absolutely. You tell me, how can I help you? He said, I need you to talk the warden into letting me stay. I said, hold on for a second. What are you talking about? He said, I'm sp supposed to be released in two weeks. I said, that's exciting. He said, it's not exciting. I said, why aren't you excited? He said, well, I was excited until this moment. He said, you have to understand, my whole life has been spent in a gang. I'm a member of the M13. He said, if I get out, I'm a Christian, and I have to live like a Christian. If I get out, you don't leave the gang. He said, I can't just get out and walk away. I can't get out and disappear. And I understand Jesus lives inside of me. And for me, it's safer just to stay in this prison as a Christian than it is to be released. I saw on his face incredible fear at the thought of being released now that he was a Christian. Now, I don't know what is in, was in his past, but I know the minute he got down on his knees and trusted Christ as his Savior, whatever he had done in his past was totally forgiven. Did you know when he knelt, before he knelt down, his destiny was hell. He was going to receive his just due. He was headed to the lake of fire. He was going to stand before an almighty God with an absolute understanding of every sin that he had ever committed. He was going to be condemned to hell for all eternity. And just one prayer changed his destiny from hell to heaven. Just one prayer made him a child of God. In one prayer, everything he'd ever done had been wiped clean and forgiven in the sight of God. That's what Calvary's about. Amen. It doesn't matter how many sins you've committed, how few or how many, God says with one prayer, a prayer that says, God, I am repentant, I know. Now, you've got to understand what he said. When forgiveness was offered, look what happens just minutes before, he is reviling, he is mocking, he is participating in what is taking place. But when he understands, when he sees Christ and understands this is not a normal common man, this is someone falsely accused, unjustly condemned to death. He's dying and now he's offering me forgiveness. Guess what? I want to accept that forgiveness. He stops the other malefactor and he says, look what it says in verse 39. One of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him saying, if thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. Now listen, this is an impossibility. That's what everyone kept yelling. They knew he had saved others. And they said, if you saved others, save yourself. He couldn't do both. He had to stay on that cross and shed his blood and die for the sins of man in order to save man. He could not save himself and still save others. He had to choose between the two. He could either die and save man or he could save himself and allow man to go to hell. And he in love and mercy and grace stayed on that cross, shed his blood to offer every single man on this planet, everyone that's ever lived, the total forgiveness of sins. 
Now, there's no one in here that knows what you've done in your past. Not even your mate, not your children, not your mother, not your father. You say, thank God there's no one sitting in this room that knows every sin I've ever committed. But there is one. His name is God. Jehovah God, the God of all knowledge, knows every sin you've committed, whether in your youth or your old age, whether at night or during the day, whether in the darkness when you thought it was hidden, it wasn't hidden from Almighty God. But God says, although I know every misdeed, every bad thought, every word that's come out of your mouth, I know everything you have done, I still offer you total forgiveness you know how you can receive total forgiveness. It's one prayer away. Look what he says. He stops and rebukes the other malefactor, verse 40. The other answering rebuked him and said, Dost thou not fear God? You know why men haven't gotten saved. It takes conviction. You have to come to the place where you actually fear God. Man has lied. Religion has lied. TV preachers have lied and they've told you, don't worry, there's no hell. Don't worry, there's no condemnation. Don't worry, God is a God of love and you'll never have to pay for your sins. You better get concerned because when you die, you will stand before God, a God of all knowledge. You will be condemned and justly condemned for your sin. You will be condemned to hell. He said, dost thou not fear God? You are minutes away from dying and you mock the Savior? Thou art in the same condemnation, verse 41. Look what he says. He admits his condition. This is the first step of salvation. This is the first step for forgiveness. You have to admit your condition before God. You are a condemned sinner. He said, we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. You have to understand, if you die in your sins, you will wake up in hell. You are receiving the just due reward for the deeds done in this life. But God says, I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to go to heaven. I've made a way. Jesus is the way. And you can go to heaven. There is absolute forgiveness waiting for you. He was offering forgiveness for the disciples who forsook him. He was offering forgiveness to this crowd who was yelling, crucify him. He was offering forgiveness to the soldiers who had nailed his hands into the cross. He was offering forgiveness for those bitter hearts that had recently falsely accused him. And he said, forgive them all. Every man of every generation was offered forgiveness at this moment when he said, Father, forgive them. Now, here's what these two thieves were faced with. Each one had to make a decision. What is the truth? Jesus is the truth. This book is truth. This was a moment of truth. And when confronted with truth, one admitted it. One admitted his condition. One admitted his condemnation. One admitted, look what it says at the end of verse 41, that Jesus Christ was the righteous Savior. He said, this man hath done nothing amiss. And look at his prayer of confession. Jesus. When he said Jesus, Jesus means Savior. Jesus, Lord of the universe, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Look at his confession. He was admitting this man will rise from the dead. This man will have an eternal kingdom. Jesus, I want you to remember me. And Jesus' response was look at his simple prayer of faith. 
Now you tell me about how much he knew. This man had never prayed. This man had never attended church. This man was the rot and the filth of society justly receiving his condemnation. But here's all that it took to change his destiny, that simple prayer of faith where he said, okay, if you're offering forgiveness, I want in on that. If you mean everything that I've done in this life in one moment, one prayer can be wiped clear. I can have eternal life. You say, but look at the things he did in his life. You're talking about all of his life. He was never baptized, never went to church, never did a good deed. He's a criminal. He hurt people. He robbed people. He killed people. You mean with one prayer he can have eternal life? Can you believe God is that merciful? How many of you, if you were God, would allow any man at any time during his life to simply say in humility and repentance, I'm sorry for what I've done. I understand my just do is hell. I understand I'm condemned before God, but I want forgiveness. I want eternal life. How many of you would say, that's good enough. I'll let you into heaven. No man would. That's why man came up with religion. And man says, oh, no. You get to spend the next 60 or 70 years trying to earn it. There's only one problem. You've tried to earn it and you failed repeatedly. He understood his condemnation. Now, this is proof alone that salvation is by grace through faith. There was no wafer for him to take. There was no cup for him to drink. There was no baptistry tank for him to be baptized in. There was no church for him to attend. There was nothing more that he did than a simple prayer of repentance and faith. And it changed his life. It changed his destiny. This is proof that there's no purgatory. Now you tell me this man deserved to go straight to paradise? He's condemned to death because of his crimes. You would say, okay, if this man wasn't sent directly to hell, society or religion would say then he was sent to purgatory and someone would have to pray him into heaven. But no, there's no purgatory in the Bible. And this man didn't go to purgatory. He went straight into heaven. This is proof that if man trusts Christ as his Savior, repents of his sin, he is immediately transformed. He immediately becomes a child of God. Now I want you to do this. Flip just a few pages forward in your Bible. You'll find John chapter 1, verse 12. The Bible says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. In an instant, in a moment, this man was transformed. Listen, this criminal, this person was never interested in God. This man who had recently been caught mocking and reviling the very Son of God, the Savior of mankind, now is rebuking those that mock him. There's been a change of heart, a change of mind. That's what salvation does. Years ago when I was pastoring in Mexico, one Wednesday night I showed up for church. There was a man there. Now some of you saw Brother Bill walk in. He's, he's a good sized man. But Carlos was bigger than Brother Bill. Taller. But he walked in. I'd never seen him. Giant of a man. Eyes were bloodshot. And his sister was there. And I, I walked in. One of the men in the church grabbed me. He said, listen, Carlos is here. He'd been drunk for five straight days, tried to kill himself, and his sister said, this is our last hope. Let's get him to a church. On a Wednesday night, they were out looking for a church, couldn't find a priest, couldn't find a pastor, couldn't find a church, and they stumbled across our church. The doors were open. 
So I sat down after the service and talked to Carlos and I went through the gospel. Now I was playing with him, but I thought he was too drunk to understand. You have to understand, his sister was talking to me and explaining the situation. He said he just tried to overdose. He's been drunk. There's a combination of both drugs and alcohol in his body. He's just been released from the hospital. She said, I don't know what to do. The family doesn't know what to do. Would you talk to him? She said, are you a psychologist or a psychiatrist? I said, no, I'm none of that. I'm a pastor. And all I can do is explain to him uh, the love of Christ, the mercy of God, his need to repent, and Jesus can save him from his sins and transform him into a new creature. So I sat down, I opened up the Bible, I went through the gospel for about an hour. When I got done, I said, Carlos, you need to get saved. You need to get out on your knees, repent of your sins. You're destroying your life. You're destroying your family. That night I said, Carlos, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to drive you home because I don't trust you driving your own vehicle. I'm going to get you home. When you sober up tomorrow afternoon, I'm going to swing back by and see if we can talk again. That afternoon about 4, 4.30, I drove back. He had a large banana distribution center, warehouses, about five or six of them the size of this auditorium. And I walked through, and he had all these bananas and semis, and they're loading and unloading. And I walked through, and I went up to his house, which was just behind the warehouses, knocked on the door, and this big giant of a man that I'd seen the night before with bloodshot eyes that slurred speech, one that I could barely understand, had a smile on his face. His eyes were clear, and he looked at me and said, Preacher, come in. And I thought in my heart and mind, something strange has happened here. He had his wife and two teenage daughters sitting on the couch waiting for me. And I sat down. I said, Carlos, I want to go through the gospel again. And I took another 45 minutes and went through the gospel. Oh, once again, the fact that he was a sinner condemned to hell. But Jesus, in love and mercy, had went to the cross, shed his blood, offered him free salvation. When I got done, I looked at Carlos and I said, Carlos, that's what you need to do right now. You need to trust Christ as your Savior and get born again. He said, Pastor, I can't do that. And I said, Carlos, you cannot wait. You're ruining your business. You're ruining your family. You're ruining your life. Do you not understand that? He said, absolutely. I said, what would keep you from getting on your knees and trusting Christ as your Savior at this very moment? It'd be a tragic mistake to wait. He said, I just can't do it. I said, why, Carlos? Can you not do that? He said, because when I came home last night, I did that. And he said, guess what? Something strange happened. And he said, I know I'm changed. I said, I can see it on your face. He said, something happened. I said, Carlos, I thought you were too drunk to understand. He said, oh, no, preacher, I understood. And I came home and I got down on my knees right here and I trusted Christ my Savior. But I need you to talk to my wife. I need you to talk to my daughters because they don't want to do it. And I said, ladies, why don't you want to trust Christ? They said, we want to see if he's truly saved and if he truly changes or if this is just for a moment. Carlos had changed. Never missed another service. Came to church, gave up alcohol, and a few months later, his wife and two teenage daughters got saved. Here's a man that was a drunk, destroying his family, and one prayer... One prayer of repentance, one prayer of faith totally transformed his life. Now, I want you to think about this man. I guarantee you, society and everyone else, even his family, had given up hope on this man that he would ever change. Now that he was hanging there on a cross, they said 
He is receiving his just due. And you know what he said? You are absolutely right. I am receiving my just due. But if this man is offering me forgiveness of sin, if this man is offering me eternal life, if this man is offering me the chance to be born into the family of God, I'm going to take that opportunity. And with a simple prayer of faith, he went from criminal to child of God. He went from hopeless to having an eternal hope. He went from a child of Satan to born again, child of the king. One prayer, one moment, there he hangs and he says, I want the forgiveness being offered to me. Here's the amazing thing. Religion has taught us that salvation is a process. Nothing can be further from the truth. You don't earn your salvation. The Bible says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. You don't go through a process in life, and if you look at everything we find in this book, John chapter 4 tells us a story of a woman that Christ met at the well. This woman had seven different men in her life. And when Christ confronted her, she trusted him as her personal savior. Her life was immediately transformed. And when she went back to the town, the townspeople knew she's different. Because the cross is not about religion, but about redemption. Not about a process. Can you imagine if Christ would have turned and looked at this man dying beside him and said, I've got bad news. You've got to get baptized. I got bad news. I know you want eternal life, but you're, you need to go to church for a year. There's some catechism classes you're going to have to take. You're going to have to go door to door and talk about Jehovah. You're going to have to become a good person. You're going to have to spend the rest of your life doing good deeds. You've got to make up for lost time. This man would have been without hope. But as he laid there, nailed to that cross, in his last moment, Christ still offered him hope. Now, here's the best thing. With a single prayer, just one prayer, he was only one prayer away from eternal life. Now, think about this. Imagine you've been condemned to death. You've been nailed to a cross. You know you are without hope. Let me ask you this. Is there any man on the planet that had less hope than this man? He has been beaten. He is bleeding. You you have to understand the pain of having your legs crossed and then a nail driven through both of your feet at the same time. Your hands have been nailed to a piece of wood. You are literally hanging You're suffocating and bleeding to death under the heat of the sun. You know you have a matter of minutes or hours before you suffocate because as that blood drains from your body, you begin to weaken. You can no longer pull yourself up just enough to take another breath. And as you hang in that sun, you know I have minutes or hours Before I am dead, my life is over. And the man beside you says, you can have eternal life. Can you imagine the desperation? The dismal thoughts that are going through his mind knowing this is it. I've wasted my life. I've made poor choices. I'm receiving my just due. And the one that hangs between you says, I am the savior of the world. I can offer you redemption, forgiveness, and eternal life 
But all you have to do, all you need to do is repent of your sins and in simple faith, with a simple prayer, confess, receive, accept me as your Savior. Believe in me as your only Savior. Here's what man doesn't want to do. Man doesn't want to admit or believe that Jesus is the Savior. You know why man, most men go to church every Sunday? Hoping to save themselves. You know why people get baptized as a baby? Many of you, and I won't ask you to raise your hands, many of you were baptized as a baby. Why did you do that? Hoping to wash away some original sin. Many people have done good deeds, avoided evil deeds, hoping these things will get me into heaven. But Jesus is the Savior. You can't save yourself. We talk about a Savior, but we don't understand Jesus is our only hope. The only hope of the sinner and for the sinner is Jesus Christ. 1 John 5.12 still says, He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Jesus is the only way. John 14.6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. This man understood Jesus is my only door, my only hope, the only way, my only ticket to eternal life. Several years ago, we had a pastor come to Mexico when we were in Pachuca. We were about an hour and a half away from the airport, maybe two hours away. One morning, we woke up late. We had to get him to the airport. Halfway to the airport, he looked over at me with a panic look in his eye, and he said, Pastor, stop the car. I stopped the car. I said, what's the problem? I don't have my ticket. I said, you don't have your ticket? No. I said, we don't have time to go back to the house. We don't? No. You know what you're going to have to do? Pulled out a piece of paper, and I pulled out a pen. I said, just drop your own ticket. Just make one. Make it look good. You're an artist. Do you remember what it looked like? You know, draw some lines and a big fancy and put United. You're flying United. Put United on there. Put your name on there. And just take it up to the counter. It won't be a problem. Just take it up to the counter. They'll be okay with it. As soon as they see it and see your name, you're in. Right? Wrong. You're laughing because you know homemade tickets just don't work. You have to have the real thing. I had to make a phone call. Someone met us on the road. We barely made the flight, but he knew he had to walk up to that counter, and if he didn't have the real ticket, he was not getting on that plane. And here's what people think. They think they're going to get to heaven without a ticket. Pastor, I'm going to drop my own ticket. So they spend their whole life trying to drop their, their ticket into heaven, and they put on their real fancy letters, baptism. Three years, member of the stone. Baptized in two different churches. Mormon from birth, they're making their ticket and they're convinced. And then, uh, you know what they put on their ticket at some point in their life? Never committed murder. <laughs> oh, that's really good. How many of you ever committed murder? Ah, look at that. Everyone in here is going to heaven because no one in here is I hope you haven't committed murder. That's scaring me. You honestly think one day you're going to die, you're going to stand before God, and with that homemade ticket, you're going to stand there and say, okay, God, this is the ticket I've made. Let me into heaven. God's going to say, no. The only ticket that's working is Jesus Christ. He that hath the Son, he that hath Jesus Christ hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So if you don't have Jesus, if you haven't trusted him as your Savior, you don't have the ticket. And here's what he said. He understood this is my only hope of eternal life. Several years ago, 
I visited a lady in the hospital, 43 years old, five children, dying of stomach cancer. We went in. I have a weak stomach. But because they were doing surgeries and so much was going on, they actually didn't sew her back up. They had, they had left her open and put like a, to me it looked like cellophane. Whatever the case, I walked in and immediately found a seat because I had become faint with having seen her condition. She, she was obvious. I've seen enough people die. She had death written on her. It was obvious that she wasn't going to make it through. The family asked me to come in, and I sat down, began to talk to her, and she was absolutely without hope. She said, Preacher, I'm 43. I don't want to die. She said, What do I do with my kids? What do I do with my husband? How's he going to make it? I'm too young. How is it that I didn't get cancer when I was 60? Why do I have to face this when I'm 43? And I opened up the Bible and I began to go through the gospel with her and I showed to her that she could have eternal life. Now you've got to understand, physically speaking, this was the end. Everyone knew it. The doctors knew it. We knew it. Her family knew it. She knew it. Physically speaking, she was without hope. But I showed her If you flip over with me just a few pages to John chapter 3, I read her these passages in John 3, verse 15. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. I said her name was Maria de Carmen. Maria, you don't have to perish. You can have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, that's you, Maria, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here's what the Bible says. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. As I read these scriptures to her and explained that God wanted to give to her eternal life, she began to cry. And she kept interrupting me and saying, Pastor, let me just pray and trust Christ as my Savior. And I said, Marie, you've got to wait. I've got to explain this to you. And I had to read another verse. She said, Preacher, I just... And I got to Romans 10, 13, where it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, here's the question. Do you believe that this morning? The Bible says it's that simple. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. That's what this malefactor did. That's what this criminal did. There he uh, sat crucified beside the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of mankind, he said, I will call in simple faith, I will call upon the name of the Lord, and he received immediately eternal life. That's what Maria wanted, and she kept trying to interrupt me. I was excited because I knew that she wanted to pass from death to life. And every five minutes, she said, Preacher, can I pray now? And I said, hold on for a second. I want to read you one more verse. You've already read enough for me to understand. And about the time I went to Revelation, I said, I want to read you two more verses in Revelation. And she started praying. <laughs> she said, God, you, you, you know I'm, I'm about ready to leave this earth and I can't leave it in this condition, a sinful condition. And I know I'm deserving of hell, but I, I want to go to heaven. And I want you to save me. She probably prayed for 15 minutes. I've never heard someone pray a salvation prayer for 15 minutes. But boy, she, she finished praying. And then I rebuked her. Maria, you got to let me finish. <laughs> now, she died just a few days later. But here's the blessing. At that moment, all that desperation that I saw in her the moment I walked in the hospital room, it was gone. 
We brought in her husband. We brought in her brother. We brought in her children. And she said, listen, you don't have to worry about me. I'm saved. I, I know I'm going to heaven. I know I have something better waiting for me. And everything that had sucked the joy right out of her life, now there was a smile saying, I know I will die. That's too obvious. But I also know, according to the Bible, I have eternal life. Amen. Did you know forgiveness is just a prayer way? Did you know transformation is just a prayer way? Did you know that eternal life is just a prayer way? Now, let me ask you this. Why would you wait? This was their deathbed. The time was short. They couldn't afford to wait. One of these men trusted Christ as his Savior went to heaven the moment he died. The other one refused. Can you imagine this man just hours later waking up in hell? The one that rejected Christ hours later was in hell. And he didn't have to be. Christ did not require for him to get baptized, didn't require for him to attend church for two years before he could be saved. He didn't require any process. He said, if you pray, if you repent... Did you know there was only one sin? It wasn't his crimes. It wasn't his murder. It wasn't his theft. It wasn't any of that sin that kept him out of heaven. It was one sin, the sin of unbelief. Because he refused to believe and trust Christ as his Savior. Let me say this. The moment is urgent. This may be your last opportunity. How many times have we gone to the funeral? How many times have I preached the funeral of 16, 17, 18-year-olds? Best friend in college, 17 years old, died suddenly. We've had good friends, kids in church. I've had a 14-year-old, a 16-year-old, a 17-year-old died tragically, and I had to preach their funeral. Here one moment, gone the next. You have no guarantee tomorrow. Listen, at some point, you will wake up for the last time. You'll make your breakfast and drink your coffee for the very last time. At some point, you'll get in that vehicle, start the motor, and drive to work for the very last time. At some point, you'll kiss your mate and hug your children for the very last time, and you don't know who in here can tell me, I know the date of my death. It is appointed unto men once to die. The date's been set. God knows that date. And the Bible says, after this, the judgment. God wants every person in here to have eternal life. But he can't force it on you. This morning, we've been confronted with the truth, the truth of God's word. Salvation is not a process. It's a free gift. Every man can have it. There were two men, two totally different choices. Within hours, was, one was in heaven, one was in hell. One made a good choice, one made a bad choice. One held on to his previous beliefs, the other one gave them up and trusted Christ as his Savior. One man today, 2,000 years later, is still yelling out in torment saying, I had the chance. I made a bad decision. And the other one says, I'm in heaven. Don't deserve to be here. There's no way I should be here. But in those last moments of life, I understood forgiveness was a prayer away and eternal life was a prayer away. Total transformation was just a prayer away. So I decided to say a sinner's prayer, repent of my sin, ask Christ for forgiveness, and he did just that. Now this morning you have your chance. 
God has placed you here. It's not an accident. It's not a coincidence. But what a mistake it'd be to walk out these doors having heard the word of God, knowing this morning, this morning, you could take five minutes, trust Christ as your Savior, and receive absolute forgiveness of sins. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this message today. But more importantly, we hope that the Lord has challenged you in some way to grow in your Christian life. For more information about our church, including directions and times of services, please visit our website at www.capitalcitybaptist.org.